So we are in a series about questions. And it's called Questions That Jesus Asked. And we're going to spend the whole summer uh, talking about questions that he asked. And just as a reminder, the questions that he asked weren't just blow-off kind of rhetorical questions. They were questions that get to us, that, that dig into us, and that, 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 that provoke us, and that, that disturb us. I summed it up a, a couple of weeks ago saying that his, his questions comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. He, he gets into our, 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 our business, so to speak. And as he gets into our business, he, he does that with questions. And so uh, questions that we'll deal with. Who do you say that I am? Who does the world say that I am? A couple of weeks ago, do you really believe? Well, this week I want to uh, dig into a question, but I, I want to give you a confession. There's an outline that some of you have and that you're expecting on the screens. Sorry. About 5 o'clock this morning, I was not comfortable with where we were going. So I'm going to change it up a little bit. What I would like to do is to start by asking you two questions. And then I want to tell a story from John chapter 6. And it's a long story, but it kind of sets the context of these two questions. And I want you to answer those questions on the front end and then again on the back end. I can do that. It's Father's Day. It's my day. So here are the two questions. What would cause you to leave your faith? What would cause you to stay in your faith? The, the, the question of the day, do you want to leave too? And that's, that's in the text that we're, we're looking at, but I, I, I kind of need to bury the lead and let you hear those two questions because I, I need you to process those. What would cause you to abandon your faith? Or if you're just investigating, kind of kicking the tires of, of what it might mean to be a follower of Christ, what would cause you to walk away entirely? And what would cause you to stay? What would be compelling enough that would cause you to continue on or to uh, continue to investigate or to look more closely? What, what would cause you to leave? What would cause you to stay? Now, there's a lot of talk about what causes people to walk away from faith or church. And unfortunately, too often those two are the same thing. They're not. But people in today's culture, they say things like, I was disappointed by God. I prayed for my grandmother to get better, and she didn't get better. Therefore, God is not trustworthy. I am disappointed. I've been hurt by the church or somebody in it. My parents drug me to church when I was a kid, and I never liked it then, and I don't like it now. I've been hurt by somebody in the church. There, there, unfortunately, there are way too many documented examples of, uh, of church leaders behaving badly, being involved in abuse and harassment and, and hypocrisy and, and financial mismanagement and, and abuse of power. 
And I would say to you who have left the church over that or thinking about walking away from your faith, I, I certainly understand that. Yeah, that It is a horrible thing when, when people who have uh, positions of leadership abuse that and there is no excuse for that. Some of people who have decided to walk away from the church, they, they just sort of drifted away. You know, COVID, they, they just sort of stopped going, and, and they, they just don't anymore. And I, I, the, a lot of them say, well, I still participate in things of faith. I, I read my Bible. I, I worship God at the beach uh, uh, a lot, and I, uh, uh, I still sing the songs. I listen to Christian radio. I, I hit up a podcast or two. But I just don't have... Uh, don't work it in. And oddly enough, those surveys, the same surveys, those people mostly would say that if somebody would just ask me, I would come back. Somebody would just ask, why don't you go to church with us? Why don't you be part of a, a community of faith? So some of you have been hurt. Some of you have been disappointed. Some of you have drifted away. And, and not you, of course, because you're here. And maybe you're just sort of investigating it, but, but of those people who are far from God, they, they would give a lot of those reasons. And we have to take those seriously. We, we don't just slough them off and say, well, they're not very spiritual, or, or they're going to hell, or they're... We, we, we can't do that. We, we have to, to, to grieve over somebody who's been hurt or disappointed or, or drift or, or whatever. We, we've got to grieve over the fact that they no longer feel like a community of faith is a valuable place. What would cause you to walk away? So this long story... In John, it begins uh, in chapter 6 and verse 1. And uh, if you'll be patient with me, I'm going to talk through the, the passage so that you'll understand why Jesus came to a point where he asked this question of his closest disciples Do you want to leave too? Do you want to walk away like others have? So we begin in, in the first part of it. If there's a Bible in the, the chair thing in front of you or your phone or whatever, you, you want, might want to follow along. Verse 1 says, after this, and that's loaded enough in the Bible, that usually means that time has passed. And in this case, uh, anywhere from six months to a year, we don't know. Uh, we know that before this, he was in Jerusalem, and now he's in Galilee, and that's a little bit of a trek by foot. And so after this, some time has passed. There's been something that's gone by. And, and so he's up in Galilee, Jesus is. And a large crowd was following him, check this, because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. So Jesus had, had, had healed some people. He had made some people better. And then the story goes on to tell us of three major miracles that took place. So he's up in the north end of the Sea of Galilee. If you want to look in the back of your Bible in the book of maps or, or, or you geek out about it later on. But Sea of Galilee is a, is a teardrop shape and it's about eight miles across and about 13 miles uh, north to south. It's not very big. 
And so the, the, the Scripture tells us that he fed 5,000 people. That's, that's, that's what the, uh, the bulk of the first part of this chapter is about. And a lot of you know that story. I, I'm not going to dwell on it today, but the, the kind of the, the, the way that that thing worked was that he was teaching, got long-winded. Preachers do that sometimes. And, uh, and uh, it got late in the day, and he said, let's feed these people. The disciples say, we got no food. Well, Jesus said, find some. And so Andrew hijacked the little boy's lunch. Uh, power differential, I don't know. He five loaves, two fishes, Jesus multiplied it, fed at least 5,000 men, probably 10,000 people in all. Everybody's going, hey, this is unusual. And so verse 15, and then and, and this is key too, uh, after that happened, all the people were about to come and take him by force and make him their king. If you can feed us, if you can heal the sick, if you can make every problem go away, well, of course we'll let you be our king. We elect you as anything. So Jesus, that wasn't what he came to do. So Scripture says he withdrew to the mountain by himself. So then evening comes, the disciples get in the boat, and they started across to Capernaum. Now, basically, they were just cutting the corner. It wasn't like a, a sea journey of a thousand days. It was, it was like just a few hours it would have taken them to row across that corner of the lake. But at the north end of the Sea of Galilee, it's, there's mountains up there, and they form canyons. And even the archaeologists tell us that the wind starts howling through those canyons and picking up steam, and it can make the waves on this narrow, shallow lake seem like the perfect storm sort of thing with the, the, the waves really, really high. And so the disciples are terrified. Jesus finishes his quiet time. He figures he'll go join them. He walks across the water, miracle number two. They are surprised, but I love what the Scripture says. Uh, verse 21, they were glad to take him in the boat. And immediately, the boat was at the land where they were going. So there's feeding of the 5,000, there's healing a bunch of sick people, there's walking across the water, and then somehow the boat teleports to Capernaum. Uh, which is where they were going. So that's where we pick up verse 22. And, and, and maybe a good way to look at it is that all these miracles set up what he's about to teach them. Okay, so there's, there's he, he demonstrates his power. He demonstrates that he has power over waves and power over wind and power over all this stuff. He, he, he's demonstrating his power, and those miracles are just sort of setting up this, this next part. So the crowd gathered, and he said to them, verse 26, you're seeking me not just because you saw signs, but because your belly is full, my translation. I, I, I fed you, and so you think that's a wonderful thing, and now all of a sudden you think I'm something like a king. But then he says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. This idea of giving is, is throughout. And uh, back in chapter 4, verse 10, um, the, the Scripture says, uh, he's talking to a woman uh, in Samaria, 
And he says, if you knew the gift of God who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, he would have provided it. So the, the free gift of God, Ephesians talks about that. For by grace we are saved through faith, and that faith is not of ourselves. It is a free gift of God. So there's, there's this, this theme that's running through here that he's trying to tell them about a gift that's better than bread, that's better than walking on water, that's better than boat teleportation, that's better even than healing the sick. But he points out something that's kind of common to these people and kind of common to us. We love God as long as we perceive that he's beneficial to us. We may have started following Christ and immediately we expected that our teeth would be white, our hair would be straight, our kids would behave, our finances would be in order, our health would work out. And as long as God will do all of those things, we will love Him, we will serve Him, we will follow Him. But the thing that Jesus is saying is that it's not about those things, it's about something bigger than that, something that is beyond what we can imagine. It's about eternal life. And so immediately the people responded, well, we like bread, we like miracles, we, we like this guy, so is there more? There, there's, there's even better than all this stuff? Tell us how we can get it. And that's another thing that's in common with these people and us, is that when we perceive that there's a problem, what do I need to do? Do I need to attend more church? Do I need to give more money? The answer to that is yes. No, do I need to perform something? Do I need to, to volunteer for a mission trip? Maybe if I go to Guatemala, God will make this, this problem go away. And yet too often people are left with this disappointment. Well, I, I prayed for Grandma. She didn't get better. I still lost my job. My life's still a mess. My family's still a mess. I, I, but I prayed but I gave to the church, but I attended, I think I'll just walk away from faith because it's just not worth it. It's not giving me what I need. And I would say that's a fair way to look at it. It's very common. It's probably many of you in here today going, yep, still kind of checking it out, but I'm, I'm losing interest in it. So the story goes on. He says, uh, what do we have to do? Verse 28. And this is kind of where the story starts to turn because the people are starting to realize that he's not going to be what they want him to be. He's not going to be the one who, who hangs around like the free bread at Publix. He's not going to be the guy who kicks out the Romans and restores their prominence as, as, as world leaders. He's not going to give them power. Uh, he, he's not going to give them what they need. And, and we're beginning to see how the tables are turning here. They said, what must we do? And he said, the work of God is that you believe in him. Now, there's a big difference between mental assent and belief. You know, people have kind of cheesed it up and go, uh, think of a chair. Do you believe that chair will hold you up? Sure I do. Then sit in it. 
And so there's a difference between saying that you believe the chair is worthwhile and actually sitting in it. Do you, do you believe that that rickety bridge will hold your weight? Sure I do. Then walk across it. And so he's trying to say that belief is a, is a heart transaction that doesn't depend on your mama or your daddy or your grandma, happy Father's Day, but it doesn't depend on what somebody else does. It depends on how you transact with God. Will you walk across the rickety bridge because you have said, Jesus, I'm going to believe in you? What causes you to leave? Well, the difference between the mental assent and belief, that's, that's what causes many people to walk away. They, the, the, it got too hard. I, I, I got tired of church. I got tired of trying to be good. I got tired of all of those things. All I felt was guilt and shame and condemnation. So, so I've had enough of this. I can get my guilt and condemnation somewhere else. What causes people to walk away? So the story goes on. He said, why don't you give us some more signs? Why, why don't you entertain us some more with spiritual tricks? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, Old Testament. Manna God provided for them for 40 years. To do that, if you'll do the, the, the walking across the water thing was nice, but, but do it again. The bread thing was nice, but we're hungry again. The, 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 the teleportation, not sure how that worked, but we'll take your word for it. They said to him, verse 34, give us this bread always. And now he begins to teach. The miracles have set up what he's trying to say. He said, it's not about that. I am the bread of life. The famous I am statements in the Bible where, where he makes these proclamations about who he really was and what he really came to do. And, and we're getting the idea that these folks are missing the boat and we wonder if sometimes we are too. He says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger, will not thirst. Verse 36, but I said to you that you have seen me, but you still don't believe. All that the Father gives me will come, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So sometimes we go right past that. Wait a minute. If I believe in you, God will never ignore me. God will never refuse to hear me. God will never not be present for me, even in the midst of my storm. I don't think it's accidental that we have a, a horrible storm in this story that caused a lot of fear and anxiety among the disciples. And what did Jesus give them? His presence. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Then he begins to perceive some grumbling. Again, here's where the, the story's starting to turn. Verse 41, the Jews grumbled about him. Uh, he said, I'm the bread. They said, isn't this Jesus? Isn't he just a human? Isn't he just a normal guy? He says, verse 44, you can't even come to me unless God is drawing you. Some of you today, you're not sure why you're here. You're pretty convinced that walking away is a pretty good option, but something just keeps drawing you. Something just keeps pulling you. Something just keeps speaking to you, and you're, you can't ignore it. 
So then verse 47, he says, whoever believes has eternal life. He repeats himself, I am the bread of life. And then he clarifies in verse 51, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, for the people listening, it's starting to get weird because they haven't heard these. You and, you and I are going, okay, flesh, it's a metaphor. But the people that were listening to that are going, are you suggesting cannibalism? What, what, are, you, what are you saying here? And he spends probably 10 verses just clarifying what he's talking about. And where he arrives is this. He said, the transaction is not always completely understandable until you begin to put your faith in it. But what God has done is that he set up in days gone by a system where a sacrifice was required for forgiveness. He is in the process of replacing that system with a sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that will once and for all allow men to place their, uh, their trust, women to place their trust, children to place their trust, the marginalized, the disappointed, the hurt, the abused, to let them place their trust in one who will never leave, never forsake. And for some reason, God allows that crucifixion, that death to be acceptable for our sins. John the Baptist said it this way. When he saw his cousin coming towards him, he says, there is the Lamb of God who takes away all of the sins of the world. And the people are trying to get their minds around this. He's talking about his flesh being sacrificed, his blood being shed, and, and we're to partake in that. And some have suggested that that's sort of a, a predecessor of the Lord's Supper. It's not at all. He's trying to help us understand that God did something radical. God demonstrates his love for us and that while we are still sinners, we don't deserve it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. It doesn't matter how good we are or how bad we are or somewhere in between. God demonstrates his love for us and that while we are sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. It is the will of the Father that none would perish, but all would come to eternal life. For by grace are you saved through faith, that is not of yourselves. It is a free gift of God, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ to do Good works. Over and over, he says, you are, you are called, you are brought, you are, you, there's, there's something that, that happens when we believe, we sit in the chair, we cross the rickety bridge, we don't just say, oh, Jesus is a great idea. We begin to understand a personal relationship with him. And so that brings us to a place in the story where verse 60, many of the disciples said, these are hard words. This is a hard saying. One writer says, well, yeah, it's hard. It's not hard to understand. It's just hard to do. Who can listen to it? Jesus knew that his disciples were grumbling. He said, don't take offense. What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? What, what if you saw me going back into heaven? It's the Spirit who gives life. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who will not believe. In verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back 
and no longer walked with him. The price was too high. What price? The only price I could think of is pride. God, I'll figure it out. I'll make up for my sins. I'll be nice to people. I'll follow the rules. I'll do penance. I'll, I'll, I'll. And he's saying, you can't. The price is so high that it cost God his only son, and that is the only hope for forgiveness of sin. And so what Jesus is talking about in big theology terms is, is substitutionary atonement. We don't have to make the sacrifices he did. We don't have to pay the price he did. The only thing we lay down is our pride and say, God, I can't do this. I'm grateful that you did. So then here's the question. Jesus, verse 67 said, do you want to go away as well? Two questions. What would make you leave? What would make you stay? Jesus said to the disciples, okay, it's hard. (laughs) Do y'all want to leave too? And Simon Peter's answer gave me a lot of hope. He said, where would I go? I hooked my wagon to this thing. And now, John recorded this here. Matthew recorded it in a different place in a different time. And when Peter said something at that other time, Matthew chapter 16, he he said, uh, Jesus said, who do you guys say that I am? And Jesus uh, asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And he said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. But both confessions are, are similar. You uh, don't understand, all of you, we studied last week that even when Peter got to the tomb after the resurrection, he was still trying to figure it all out. But here, there was something inside of him that answered the same question that we're talking about today. We've documented well why people leave. Why do they stay? Why would Peter look at him and go, you are the words of life. You are the Holy One of God. I am just now realizing how dark my soul is, how, how awful I would be without you in my life. I'm just now realizing that, that there, there's so much I don't know about what it is to follow you and what it is to, to have a relationship with you. There's so much I, I don't know. Where else would I go? I'm just going to stay on this trail. And so in my notes, I said, well, let me finish this thing by telling you why I stay. Let me, let me tell you why I stay in this relationship. Have I disappointed God? Yes. Have I wondered why somebody didn't get well when I prayed that they would? Yes. Have I wondered why families broke up? why sons were angry and daughters were angry and, and mommy and daddy can't be together anymore? Do I, do, do I wonder why there's still abuse and why there's still injustice and why there's... Yes. Well, let me tell you why I stay. Because I believe in God. 
because I believe with all my heart that there's something bigger in this world than me, something smarter than me, wiser, more powerful. I believe with all my heart that he is still working despite my and your uh, uh, opposition to even the way that he's working. I believe with all my heart that God is sustainer, he is creator, he loves, he cares, he values us. I believe what the scripture said, that he loved us so much that he gave his son. I believe that sacrifice had to be uh, made for my sins because God is just, God is good, God is right, and, 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 and all of the, the depravity that's going on in the world, all the depravity that has come out of my life, something had to be done about it. And God said, I'll do something about it, and he sent his son. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that my life is guided because Jesus said he would spend, send the Holy Spirit that when I don't have wisdom, I can ask for it. When I don't know how to uh, create order out of chaos, I can ask for it. When I don't understand the things that are going on in the, the community, the world, uh, the, our, 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 our wider church, when I don't understand all of those things, He gives me the Holy Spirit. And he reveals truth as I study his scripture, as I, I try to uh, converse with people. I, I believe with all my heart that he is still in the business of giving us guidance and counsel today. Why do I stay? I believe in the resurrection. I believe that this life is not all there is. Every time that I speak over a a graveside or a funeral, if, if I didn't have the sense that there was something more, something better, something beyond, I have nothing to say to families who are hurting. I believe in the resurrection. I believe that when my life is over here, when your life is over here, that as we have followed Jesus, as we have stayed in our faith and not walked away, I believe that there is a place, a presence and the only thing I am for sure about that place is that God is there. I, I know all the books that describe it and all the people that have claimed to go on there, but I don't know any about that. All I know is that God is there and he has promised to take me with him. Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In John 14, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many spaces. If it wasn't there, I would have told you. I go there now to prepare a place for you. I, I know that God has prepared a place for me here and in the hereafter. And that's why I stay. I stay in the midst of the disappointments. I stay in spite of the challenges. I stay because it's worth it. Is it easy? No. Is it worth it? Yes. For the people that leave their faith, a lot of them say, I didn't get a feeling that the cause was big enough. And they're, of course, thinking about doing nice things for other people, and, and perhaps they were involved in mission projects, but they, they didn't get a sense that God was as big as God is. And if there's anything that I want you to hear today, it's that.
that God is bigger than anything that would compel you to walk away from your faith? Will you stay or will you walk away? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for who you are and what you're doing in our lives. Thank you that there's a courageous disciple who voiced for all of us, where would we go? Where would we go except this? Father, I pray today that you would strengthen faith, that for people who are wondering if it's worth it, that you would allow them to know that it is. God, I do pray that you'll assure us of your presence. And Lord, today we can have a sense of, of your presence, of, of communicating with you, our Father, on this Father's Day. And that that will allow us to take some inventory and to see that you are King of kings, you are Lord of lords, you are God of the universe, you are creator, you are sustainer, you are redeemer, you are counselor, you are mighty God, you are prince of peace, you are, you are all of these things that somehow get lost in the day today. But today, Lord, we turn our attention to you in worship. We acknowledge that you are who you say you are, and we pray that you would strengthen our faith. We do believe. Help us in our unbelief. Help us to see you as you really are. In Jesus' name, amen.